Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Worship Center in Brighton, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit faithworshipcenter.org. Hallelujah. If you will, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. I want to minister to you this morning this idea, this is my title, Individual Grace for the Corporate Body. Praise God. Individual Grace for the Corporate Body. And what I want to show you from the context here, we're going to read a lengthy portion of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 to verse 16. And what I want to show you here this morning is how the Word of the Lord tells us that grace was given to each one of us, a deposit of grace. Grace invested into our life, a, a working grace, a grace that does something in us, a grace that empowers us to serve God and empowers us to live out the life of Christ. And this grace is given not just for our own selves, but for the body of Christ as a whole, that God wants to use the grace that's in us to minister one to another. Amen. Praise God. If if church and your relationship with Jesus is merely therapeutic, you've missed the point. If you come to church to worship and get the feel goods and to get encouraged and have enough faith and enough strength to just go out and survive another week in the world, what a weak salvation this is. But if Christ in you, the hope of glory, wants to use your life to minister to other people, my God, I think that's a powerful thing. Amen? Do you think the Holy Ghost wants to live in you just so He can go, oh, don't be too discouraged, don't be too weary, keep walking with me, keep, keep serving me, be faithful? Or do you think that He wants to use you to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to minister one to another and to reach that world on his behalf. Amen? Praise God. And so individual grace for the corporate body. Let's look at it this morning. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, but to each one of us. Come on, somebody say this morning, each one of us. To each one of us. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, and he quotes Psalm 68, and we'll look at that in a little bit. He says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, quote, he ascended, end quote, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower part of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all 
things. And we'll study that and explain that. That is confusing to many people. They don't understand it. And what it does is in their mind, it breaks up the context. They, don't, they understand verse 7. They think they understand verse 11 to 16. But that confusing quote from Psalm that doesn't quite seem to fit, and then Paul's explanation of it, and you just go, well, I don't know what all that's about, but I'll just kind of skip over that and get to the rest of it. Can I tell you this morning, I just encourage you in your discipline of Bible study, don't read the, the quotations in the New Testament merely from the, the passage that it's quoted in. See it and go look at it. And most of the time you have to read the whole chapter to know what's going on. Because back in that day, ink and paper was very expensive. Extremely expensive. Say they didn't have money in every letter to quote the whole context. So they would quote the main idea and expect that you as good Bible students would go and look back, find out what the context is. So that when you come to it, you go, oh, Paul's not a bad uh, scholar or teacher of the Bible. He does know what he's talking about. He's not saying something strange, it actually fits with what he's saying. So he, he makes those explanation statements in verse 9 and 10, and then in verse 11, he says this, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Somebody say, by what every joint supplies. Amen? By what every joint supplies. Amen? According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so I want to talk to you this morning about an individual grace, a grace specific to you, grace given to you, grace deposited in you, grace at work in you, but not just for you, for the corporate body of Jesus Christ and for that world out there that they would see Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray and ask the Holy Ghost to help us and open our eyes. Lord, we ask you to give us discernment, give us understanding. Help us, Lord, to see the word of the Lord from your perspective. Help us to understand it. Help us to walk in it, Lord. Help us to know it, God. Lord Almighty, we ask you, teach us your word, teach us your ways. Help us, Lord, to see the grace of God that's in us. Lord, as we sung that song earlier, in the context of the holiness of God, we ought to see our sin. But Lord, your word says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Lord, let us not just behold the sin. Oh, but to behold the new man. 
God, let us discern the grace that's in us. Let us recognize the grace that's in us. Let it see it. Let us see it, God. And know, God, that you are working in our life through that grace you've deposited. Lord, for us to be who you've called us to be in the body of Christ. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. amen. And amen. Paul makes this statement. He says in verse 7, But to each one of us grace was given. You need to understand the book of Ephesians to understand this text. In the book of Ephesians, up to this point, the main thrust has been this controversy of Jews and Gentiles both being the covenant people of God through their united faith in Christ. The Jews are struggling. This is an issue in Romans. This is an issue in Ephesians. This is a major issue in Galatians. And the struggle is these Jews going, man, Jesus is our Messiah. He's the Jewish Messiah. And we believe in him, but many of our own people are rejecting the Messiah they've waited for for thousands of years. And now all of these Gentiles are coming in and it's confusing. It's frustrating. Can these people really be as much a part of the covenant community that God is making as the Jews are and disproportionately so? So that maybe there's 50 Jews in the church here, but a hundred Gentiles, you know, those dirty old Gentiles, those, those idol worshipers, those pork-eating, shrimp-eating, idol-worshiping fornicators that don't know the Word of God, those nasty old sinners the way that they are, can, can, and the bacon, right? And can they really be a part of the kingdom of God as much as us? Amen? Classist Christianity has been a problem from the first century till today. Amen? All of the, the, the devil is always trying to find a reason to divide the people of God, to separate the people by politics. Come on, somebody. I don't think I've ever seen the church so divided over politics as I have the last seven or eight years. Just divide people breaking off fellowship, people talking ill of one another, unkind, ungodly, over ethnicity, over race, over over socioeconomic status over region and just over the tiniest doctrinal issues, right? I remember reading church history and seeing Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli getting together for the Reformation and they had 16 points that they needed to discuss and they eventually decided that they agreed on all 15 but Ulrich Zwingli didn't believe that the, the Eucharist, the offering of the body and blood of Jesus was symbolic, or he believed it was symbolic and not literally becoming the, the body and the blood of Jesus. And Martin Luther said, then we can't do any ministry together. We can't unite together. My reformation is not your reformation. I don't believe you're part of the true church that's reforming what God's doing. And I thought, how ignorant, how crazy, how strange. Why would you do that? And then I've been in ministry the last 10 years. I go, oh, that's normal. This is not, this, Martin Luther wasn't some uniquely ignorant man. This is all of us. We've got to divide over all these things. And if I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, justification by faith, the blood alone saves who God is in his nature. If I believe the infallible authority of scripture, there's a lot of things that are closed handed issues, but not everything's something to divide over. Amen. Praise God. God's trying to unite us together. And maybe if we'll humble ourselves, we'll learn something. Amen. Amen. 
Praise God. And so in the book of Ephesians, he's discussing this issue. And up to this point, all of his language has been plural. The us, we, they, them, right? It's the church as a whole, us as Jew and Gentile, we as Jew and Gentile, they, them as Jew and Gentile, as the covenant people of God. And chapter two tells us that through his flesh, he's broken down the middle wall of his hostility that was between us, talking about the court of the Gentiles where they could come in to worship, but they weren't clean enough to come all the way in because they were only discovering and exploring Jehovah and Yahweh, and they weren't really committed yet. And so you can't come all the way in until you've completely converted. And so there's this sense of we're closer to God than you are. And he's saying through the cross, that middle wall of separation has been broken down and we are all together as one people. And so he's talked about this. And then he says in chapter three, and I want you to look at it with me, chapter three and verse 10. I want you to see how he describes the power and the glory of this unity as something that is used by God to boast over the powers and principalities of this world. And he talks about how he's been called to minister the gospel. And he says, verse 10, 310, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may, might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. This is a description of demonic powers, demonic forces. And he says that as the church is united together, this is God's way of displaying his manifold wisdom in a way that boasts over the demonic powers of hell. In other words, devil, you deceived them. I brought them into the truth. You broke them. I healed them. You divided them. I united them. You caused offense. I put away all offenses under the blood. You caused sin against one another. And I brought forgiveness for one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Amen. And so the unity of the church is God's people is God's way of boasting over the devil. Amen. It's his way of shaming him, his way of embarrassing him, praise God, because any fool can break a thing, amen? How much money and time have y'all spent renovating this sanctuary? It looks very, very different than when I first got here. All the carpet, the paint, the trim, everything y'all have done took skill, labor, time, money. But you let one of my children, my nine-year-old in here with a hammer and he can break all of it, right? He doesn't need a long time. Five minutes, brother, he'll ruin everything. You couldn't even and sell the building, right? You'd have to give it away. Because, <laughs> don't bring that up, man. <laughs> what are you doing? It's under the blood, bro. What happened to forgiveness? <laughs> what happened? Cast into the sea of forgetfulness. See, now I got to explain. We had him staying at our house one night and my child, my son, second son, Jonathan, goes outside to play. And next thing you know, he comes in showing us something. Isn't this cool? And it was the little Mercedes emblem off the hood of his car that he broke. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Why you got to bring it up, man? And so the point is, it's so much easier to break a thing than it is to make a thing. Right? And it's much harder to re remake something into a better condition than it was before it was destroyed. 
Amen? If you gave me a car that's run down, torn to pieces, and messed up, and you said, here's $25,000 to renovate it, I'd say, I'd rather just go get a new car with that twenty and just throw this thing in the trash, right? But Adam and Eve were not born with the perfect righteousness from God. They were born with innocence, but they had to live a perfect life. They weren't adopted sons and daughters of God. And this salvation that we have is not only restoring us to the image of Adam and Eve, to, to be made in likeness and image of God, restored the way that we were. Our salvation is greater than what was lost. And God is looking at the devil and saying, see how you broke them? But anybody can do that. Any fool can do that. Look how I've healed them. Look how I've made them new. Look how I've made them clean. Look how I brought them together. Adam and Eve sinned against one another when they had no reason to and it destroyed them. But we've sinned against one another so much you can't even stand it. But we can put it under the blood. And he says this is the manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God. And so what's at stake in our relationship with the body of Christ is whether or not God gets praised through us or not. Amen? And so all of this time in the letter of the, to the Ephesians, his focus has been on the corporate body. But what role do I play in that? How do I see my life impacting the church to be the church that God wants it to be? I remember one old man of God, I'd hear him. He's a revival preacher. And I remember hearing him pray. One thing he'd say often, and you could tell he prayed it from the bottom of his toes. He said, oh God. Let the church be the church one more time. Let the church be the church one more time. Let the church be what you made it to be, what you called it to be. One more time before you come back. Lord, make it a spotless bride. Make it a wrinkle-free bride. Make it a holy bride devoted to her husband. And so how do we do that? How, what is our part to play for the church to be the church. And here, this is the first break into the individual role. And this is what he says in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us. This is not a forgiving grace. Amen? True. We've, been, we've received a forgiving grace. But the grace that he's using here, the way that Paul's using it, and he uses the word grace in, a, in multiple ways in the New Testament. And one of the ways that he uses it is a description of the Spirit of God's gracious work in our heart to transform us and empower us to live the life of Christ and do the work He's called us to do. He uses this language in chapter 3, right where we were looking at before, but in verse 7. He says, of this gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of of God given to me by the effective working of His power. So he says, the work that I'm doing, I'm doing by the grace, 
that was given to me. Amen? So the grace that's given that's being discussed here is an empowering grace. It's a working grace that does something in us we can't do in and of ourselves. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Of all the apostles, I labored more than they all. I've preached more than they all. I've served more than they all. I've seen more people come to the salvation of Jesus Christ than any of the other apostles. But he says, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. Paul wasn't trying to be the greatest. He wasn't trying to be a super apostle. All he was doing was responding to the grace that was in him. And if you spend your life trying to mimic your pastor's grace or this brother's grace or somebody else's grace and achieving what they do. How many preachers we got in here? Anybody minister the word of God? Amen. Anybody read like something like John Wesley? You ever read men would preach hour, two hour long sermons three times a day, would write 14 hours a day. And when he was in his 80s, he said, I regret to say that I am so weak now. I can only write for 14 hours a day. And I, and I, and I don't know if you've ever felt like a failure for the Lord before. That's a pretty good way of doing it. And, and the aspiration I had when I began to do ministry was to be like all of my heroes and to do all of these. I wanted to pray more than anybody, study the word more than, preach better than that. I just wanted to do all of these things. And I've gotten to the point now where all I'm trying to do is recognize what the grace of God in me is trying to do and respond to that grace and live that grace out. Amen. Praise God. And he says to each believer... Grace was given a new identity, a new work, a new call in your life, a purpose in you, grace in you doing the work of God. And so he says in Ephesians chapter four, but grace was given to each one of us. How does how was it given? He says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. How many of you know God's not rationing, rationing out grace? Amen. He's not given some small allowance of grace. He's not given 25 cents of grace. Amen. He is blessing us with all of the measure of the grace that he has so that the grace of God in us is mighty enough to do anything God calls us to do. Amen. God calls you to part a Red Sea. Brother, you can do it by the grace that's in you. God's called you to deliver somebody. God can help you to do it in Jesus' mighty name. I have never been at a weaker time in my Christian life than I was three months ago. I struggled to pray. I struggled to get in the Bible. Just ministry and life had taken so much out of me. My prayer, I would sit there to pray and I couldn't pray. And I would just say, God, here I am. Can't say anything. Don't, can't ask for anything. Can't. And I just felt so weak and never have I got to minister so mightily to people in my life as I have the last three months. And it's just been a reminder to me what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, who is sufficient for these things? We are not. He says, our sufficiency is from Christ. And oh man, I've just marveled. I've said, Lord, it really is you. It really is grace in my life. It really is you doing a work through me where I feel like I don't have anything for me. 
but there's something in me for other people. How can I feel so dry and be a well to other people and flow to other people, serve other people, encourage other people, and I can pray for other people in the anointing and the stern of the Holy Ghost and I can preach to them and I can't even preach to me. And the Lord just reminded me that your sufficiency is from me. It's not because you pray so much. Not because you study the word so much. It's not because you're so sanctified and holy. It's because I am able and in your weakness. My strength is perfected. Amen. And so he says this grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he says this in verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this is a reference to Psalm 68. And we're not going to go there. Normally, I'd go there. But just write it down. Go look at it later. Psalm 68. And this is the context of the psalm. The people of Israel are in bondage. They're broken. They're hurting. They're impoverished. And it's a description of God in the Old Testament coming down from heaven, fighting on their behalf, winning a victory for them. And then this is what it says, that He gives the spoils to the people. Amen? And that they divided among themselves. In, in the practice of that day, when kings went and fought, they would pay their soldiers, but they got the spoils of war. So the spoils were for them. But in this context, God didn't even take the people to go and fight with him. He went and fought on their behalf. Amen. How many times does God say, all right, you're going to go out with me and I'm going to do a miracle. Gideon, you're going to go with your 300 or we're going to go with just the tribe of Judah and you're going to praise and then I'm going to bring a victory. In Psalm 68, the people are helpless. They're bound. They're captive. And they're just going, Lord, you got to save us. And God comes down from heaven and saves them. Amen. On their behalf, without any of their help. And then listen, I can't help it. i got to read it to you. Psalm 68, verse 11. It says, The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings of armies flee. They flee. And she who remains at home divides the spoil. And then it says in verse 18, he says, You have ascended on high, and you have led captivity captive, and you have received and given gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord might dwell there. And so here is this quote from Psalm 68, where he's saying that God, in the same way that in the Old Testament, God descended into the earth, brought a victory, and then gave the spoils to the people. Jesus Christ has come down in human form from heaven, died on the cross, beat the enemy on our behalf, won the victory, and then is giving all of the spoils to us. Now, I, I love the fact that it says that the women at home divide the spoils. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. Because you know why? Because men don't recognize needs as often as much. Amen? Praise God. Amen. The ladies are testifying, right? Right? You just, we don't know, we don't notice that the, the, the socks are on the counter. They just got set there and we're like, well, you know, we'll get them later. Right? Or you could be starving and we're like, I'm sure they'll find some food. Right? And, but the lady, they recognize needs and they care for people and they go and give them the things that they need. And so the point is this. None of them went and did any fighting, but he gives the spoils to them and then they go and divide it among themselves. And he says, Jesus Christ has come. 
He's died on your behalf. He's defeated the enemy. And he's ascended unto heaven. And then all the spoils of war. He's deposited some of those rewards to you. And then he expects you to distribute those to other people who have a need. Amen? So this is why he says grace was given to you. And then he references this psalm. So these are specific gifts and call, gifts of grace that is given to each one of us. And in the context, verse 11, where he says he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers, what most people have interpreted, because they find verse 7 through 10 kind of disjointed and confusing, they really don't understand it. And then they see God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and they think they are the gift of God to the church. They're the gift, right? He's the gift, right? The preacher, the pastor, the man of God, the real man of God. They're the gift. But what does it say that they do? What does it say that they do? He says he gave these things, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so a grace has been deposited in you and the gift of the king has been given to you. And then he's given some, and you could describe all of this style of leadership in two things, leadership and teaching, right? They're all apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher are all different versions of leadership and teaching. And he says, these were given so that they could equip you, the body of Christ, with the gifts and the reward that he's won for the work of the ministry. And, and all of our life, brother, how often have you heard, oh, I'm in the ministry, right? Because I'm a pastor or I'm an evangelist. I'm, or, I'm in the ministry. As if we were the ones doing the ministry. When the picture of this text is that they are gifts of God given to equip you, the people of God, to do the work of the ministry. Amen? What a transformation this is from all of the examples we have in the New Testament where you've got the special prophets, right? And then you've got the special priests and you've got the kings and you've got the songwriters and then you've got these special ministers. But then what was the craving of the heart of Moses when he calls and the 70 elders are anointed with the Spirit of God. And then you have two who are not in the camp and they're outside prophesying. And Joshua's jealous for him. And he goes to Moses and he says, Moses, these guys are out here prophesying. They're not with you. They're not doing it under your ministry. They're not doing it under your banner. Nothing theologically wrong or contradictory to the Word of God. But attention is being drawn to them because the Holy Ghost is stirring up in them to do the work of the ministry. And I'm jealous for you. And Moses says, Oh, that all of God's people were prophets. I wish all of God's people had the Spirit of God in them. Right? He's been trying to lead these people around this wilderness. They don't want to hear from God. They don't want to obey God. And you got and th their structure of ministry is we're the elites doing the ministry. And Moses goes, this is getting real tired. I wish that God was in all of them, working through all of them. To the glory of God. And Jesus came and fulfilled that promise. How many of you remember where Jesus paralleled this event from the book of Numbers, where he took 70 disciples. 
the same thing that Moses did and anointed them. The Spirit of God came on them and they're going out and they're doing all of the work. This is the answer. This was a foreshadowing of how all of God's people would be doing the work of the ministry. Jesus was saying in the same way that God used Moses to bring others into ministry and his prayer was that all of God's people would be prophets. I'm going to do that. And then what are we told is the inaugural text used from the first day of the church on the day of Pentecost. Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. Even your sons and your daughters. You know those kids that are hard-headed and you can't hardly get them to act right in your house, much less follow God? He says, what you can't do by discipline I'll do by the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'll get in their heart. I'll deal with them. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. The Spirit of God is going to work through each individual person. No longer this special ministry, these special preachers, these superstars. They're the real men of God. And I don't know about all of you, but I know some of you are aware. My my background is Pentecost. Spirit-filled, believe in the power of God, ushers. And what we've seen for so many years is that the preacher is the man of God. They're the man of faith. They're the man God speaks to. And they're the heroes of all their own stories. When I was on the mission field and when I prayed and when I laid hands and I saw somebody got out of a wheelchair. But what the Spirit of God is doing today is reminding us that that's not the model of the New Testament. The model of the New Testament is that the ministers are there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Amen? Praise God. For the edifying of the body in love. To build up the body in love. And then what does he say in verse 13? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then here in this text, he talks about growing up into Jesus, who is the head. And so we're growing up as a body until we reach full maturity into Christ, who is the head. Now, this is a strange analogy, but it really is the point of the text. So if you'll bear with me, it's a little uncomfortable to think about. But the head of the church is Jesus Christ, and Jesus is fully mature. Amen? He's a perfect man, and you're his body. But how many of you know when you get born again, the Word of God calls you babes in Christ? Amen? And then John, in 1 John, talks about the babes, the young men, and the elders, right? The babes, the young men, and the in this levels of maturity. And so all of us are in different places of maturity. And the ones who think we're more mature are probably less mature. And the ones who think, Lord, I wish I was holier are probably more mature, right? We're never really where we think we are, Right? And then something happens in your life and you're like, oh, I'm still carnal. I didn't know. I thought that I was walking with God and I got so easily offended and I just thought I wouldn't have done that, right? But the point is we're all at different places of maturity. How many of you work with your hands, carpentry, mechanic? You do something of some sort of skilled labor, right? What do you do? Machinist, amen. What do you do, sir? Diesel injection. Now, brother... A little, I know a little more about that than, than machinists. So I'm going to use his example. I'm sure yours would have been better. I just don't know about it. So I'm not picking on you. 
But can you imagine, how many years have you been doing that? 60 years. <laughs> now, in that head is all of the knowledge of what needs to be done, right? He knows all of it, in and out, right? An owner's manual is probably an insult to him, right? If somebody brought him parts and said, here's the manual for how to install this, what are, we're paying double. How about that, right? I mean, just he knows it all upside and down. Now imagine suddenly that you've got, now follow with me, imagine suddenly you've got the feet of an infant, and you've got the legs of maybe a toddler. And you've got the hands of an adolescent. And maybe the shoulders and the back muscles of a teenager. right? And your body is at all of these different stages of maturity. But a lot of it is very immature. And now suddenly all the dexterity that was there is lost. The strength that is lost. The muscle memory is no longer present. And you've got in that head all the knowledge to do everything that needs to be done. But suddenly your body's no longer capable of doing the work that needs to be. And you're dropping tools. You're dropping the injectors. You're clogging things up. Just things are not working. You end up putting it on backwards because your hand just won't do what you said. How frustrating would that be? And how do you think Jesus feels trying to love the weakest among us when we resent them for their weakness? When we judge one another for our sin, when God wants to come and restore. When we get offended, when He wants to forgive. Amen? That for the wise, it is the glory of a wise man to forgive an offense. To get over an offense, right? And you just keep hanging on to that offense. And we won't respond to the grace that's in us and mature and grow. And Jesus is trying to do the work of the ministry and we just won't grow up. Amen? So when he says that these things are given for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, you know what I have seen, what has astonished me? I have so much confidence in the Word of God that I'm a, I was a little naive about how it worked. And what has astonished me is to visit churches, be in churches, see churches that have what I consider to be some of the best teaching leadership possible in a church. I mean, the teaching is phenomenal. It's scriptural. It's rooted in the gospel. It's expounding the scriptures word for word. It's teaching the people of God truth. And then to get there and see the people and go, these are some of the most immature, carnal people that I've ever met in my life. And they're sitting under such amazing teaching. And what's happening? What is going on? And it took so long to reconcile and understand and realize this, that the way that they view church is I come, I worship, I get encouraged and strengthened in my spirit. I hear good teaching and then I never do anything with it. And I'm not in any relationship with the body. So my immaturity never shows up. Because guess what? You start hanging around one another. You start felt. How many of you say, I would love more fellowship in the church? How many of you would say that? You love more fellowship with one another. So how many of you realize what you're saying is I would love more opportunities to be offended? Right? That's literally what you're saying. I want to spend more time with you. 
I want to have more opportunities to see your weaknesses, your immaturities, and the way you're not like Jesus. And that church face and that Jesus face you put on is going to get all droopy and come off. And I'm going to see who you really are. And am I, am I going to judge you or am I going to love you? Amen? But if we're going to spend time with one another, we're going to see each other as we really are. And we're going to have to grow up to deal with it. Amen? We're just going to have to grow up. It's going to have to get over it. Well, they said, and the way they treated me, and the thing that they did. And did you hear who they listened to on a podcast? I can't believe they're listening to that. They're sitting under this kind of teaching, and they're listening to that guy, or they're listening to that music, or they're reading that Bible translation, or they're acting this way towards people, or they talk to people. Can you believe they talk to people that way? Have you read the Bible? Have you read it? James and John. Let's call down fire from heaven. This sounds like a good idea. And Jesus is going, man, like you don't know what spirit you're of. right? I never would have picked James and John. I sure wouldn't have picked Peter. I never would have done anything with Peter. He wouldn't be on my deacon board. He wouldn't be a greeter. This guy has foot and mouth disease and he can't get over it. Right? I don't want him greeting at the door. He's going to say the most uncomfortable, awkward things. Right? He's like, you put on some weight since you were here last time. You know? Peter, bro, what are you doing? Mr. Offense, what's wrong with you? There's no filter between brain and mouth. And God says, this man who denied me three times. 50 days after his denial. That's what Pentecost means. It's 50 days from Passover. 50. 50 days after he said, I don't even know him. The Holy Ghost chose him to stand up and preach the gospel and preach Jesus Christ and him crucified to all of these Jews so that they would believe in him as Messiah. But I wouldn't have him do that. Pat, would you do that? If everyone knew that a guy denied even knowing Jesus said, I'm not a Christian, I don't follow Jesus. And 50 days later, he stood in this pulpit preaching to you. You'd leave this church, wouldn't you? You'd put it on Facebook. You'd go to Yelp review and Google review. This man of God has no leadership quality. He'll let anybody in that pulpit. We don't think like Jesus. We're so carnal. We're so weak. We're so unloving. So ungracious. We judge in ways the Holy Ghost would never judge. He has patience that we would never have. I would have thrown me away by now. I really should be better. I really, there are things on my list that I would go, I thought I'd be over this by now and over this and over this. And I thought I'd be more mature than that. And yet the Holy Ghost keeps using me and the things that are on my list I want him to deal with that's not the things that he's dealing with right and I just go I sure wish you'd deal with this and he keeps going to these roots I keep dealing with fruit praying about fruit struggling with fruit he's going to roots that are in me all the way deep down in me until we all come to the fullness the measure of the stature of Christ amen and so he says, this will happen when the church has the leadership God has established over it, equipping them for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so this, when they're led and when they're taught, they'll do the work of the ministry. Can you just say this morning to your pastor, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but I just ask if you would say this with me. 
Pastor, if you'll lead me and you'll teach me, we'll do the work of the ministry. If you lead me and you teach me, we'll do the work of the ministry and we'll build up the body of Christ in love. Oh, Jesus. And God's going to raise up more leaders in this house. How many prophets are sitting here? How many pastors? How many teachers are sitting here? But before you walk in that calling, you got to start washing feet. You got to start loving people. You got to start serving. The worst thing in the world is somebody working in an anointing that they don't have the character to be able to live out. Amen. They can teach the word of God, but they hack people to pieces because they're so unkind. Amen. Just begin to serve the body of Christ and God will bring it to pass. Amen. Praise God. Can we just pray this morning? I ask you, would you stand up with me? Can I tell you, saints of God, there's a grace that's been given to you. A grace that's been given to you. That God wants to call out of you and nurture in you for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. And so my invitation to you this morning is will you seek the Lord to not just let the Holy Ghost do therapy in your heart week to week for you to come and get encouraged and be taught some scripture, but for you to let the Holy Ghost and the grace of God that's in you move you to see needs, to see the burdens of the Lord, to share the affections of Christ, to see people that are hurting and broken and discouraged and weary and for you to rush in and build them up and love them and serve them and teach them the word of God and teach them the ways of Christ and build up the body of Christ in love. God Almighty, we ask you, help us in the Holy Ghost. God Almighty, help us in the Holy Ghost to discern the gift of grace that's in us, to recognize what you've put in us, Lord. Lord, we're not talking about striving and effort to try and do a religious work. God Almighty, we've had enough of that. We've exhausted ourselves on form but no power. Having the form of godliness but no power. What we're asking is that the life of Christ would rise up in us. That the grace that's already in us would be stirred. Lord, that we'd move with God. Lord, that grace in us would recognize needs, recognize brokenness, recognize sin, recognize discouragement, recognize weariness, and minister to one another and serve one another and build up one another in love. God Almighty, help us to love your body and to be your body. God Almighty, help us to mature this body by building it up in love. You've already won the victory. You've won it on Calvary. You said it is finished. Jesus, you said at the hour, Lord, that you were going to the cross. You said now the hour has come that the prince of this world will be cast out. Lord, on Calvary, you crushed the head of the serpent. And Lord, you brought redemption and salvation and the power of God. And you've made us clean vessels for the Holy Ghost by the blood of Jesus. For we are not our own, but we've been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we'd be temples for God. And Lord, that we could serve you and do your work by the power of the Spirit of God. Help us this morning to be your people and to walk in your power. God Almighty, do it through our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. Help us, Lord. Come on, saints, pray and seek the Lord.